from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. How's calving season going? I think they're waiting to have their babies at night. An update from one of the younger reporters in the field. It's called the Great Salt Lake. This is an ecological disaster that will become a human health disaster. Why scientists fear it could soon be gone. As USDA makes its predictions for this year's crops. In terms of the corn to bean price ratio, still gives you a little bit of favor to corn. What it will take to make those numbers a reality right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The war in Ukraine, ongoing supply chain issues and inflation all are continuing to shape the ag economy right now. But what could they mean down the road this year? USDA hosting its annual Agriculture Outlook Forum. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, ag officials are looking at plantings of corn, soybeans, and particularly wheat. Clinton, USDA is looking at increases in acreage for the three primary crops in 2023, with the biggest increase coming in wheat. Now, as a result of that and a break from La Nina, which will mean more normal weather, the season average prices received by farmers for all three crops are projected to be lower than in 2022. Now, the good news is they do remain higher relative to historical averages over the past 10 years. USDA projects the biggest drop in price for corn down $1.10 from this year. Chief economist Seth Meyer estimating ending stocks will be up 620 million bushels with a record yield of 181.5 bushels per acre on 2.5 million more acres. He says it's due to the market signals, which include lower input prices. In terms of the corn to bean price ratio, still gives you a little bit of favor to corn relative to where we've been at in history. Hence that 91 million acres of corn. However, the pressure on corn prices will also come from higher Brazilian production. You're looking at a crop that's about approaching 100 million metric tons this year with normal weather. That's a big crop that's going, that has implications for U.S. producers. On top of that, the Chinese are now accepting Brazilian corn. Soybeans will also have increased South American competition with another record crop on tap. What do you think that crop looks like next year? You know, you're talking something, something in the neighborhood of 220 million metric tons of production somewhere in that neighborhood under a normal weather assumption. That's a lot of beans. But he expects this to be offset by higher U.S. crush demand. So soybean acreage remains unchanged and inning stocks are only projected to grow 65 million bushels from last year. With a historically low 6.5% stocks to use ratio, prices will drop only 10%. So as crush margins are good, maybe we export a little bit less beans and we crush a little bit more domestically. This has been one of the, one of the drivers in the soybean market here is crush. Folks got it in their mind, 25% increase in crush capacity over the next several years. Wheat acres are also forecasted to be up 3.8 million acres from last season as higher prices plus crop insurance guarantees incentivize plantings. With those high prices for wheat, some of it related to war in the Ukraine, you, you will observe that farmers have responded and planted a lot more wheat. So USDA projecting a 7% increase in wheat ending stocks and a 50 cent drop in average price for the year. Myers says cotton acres are forecasted only 10.9 million acres down 21%, but with higher yield production is expected to be up nearly 8% which puts USDA's price projections at 80 cents. All right, thanks, Michelle. We're not done with that massive winter storm just yet as it 
continues to push east. The storm has already dropped heavy snow, freezing rain and ice in the west and midwest. Parts of Wyoming have seen more than 40 inches of snow in just two days. Wisconsin also seeing several inches of snow. Joshua Sanzema farms in River Falls and he says they've seen about 15 inches of snow. He says there are places where the snow drifts are up to his waist. Meanwhile, the southeast is basking in heat with dozens of record high temperatures from Ohio to Florida. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us with the very latest and Chuck, there's another storm right behind this one. All right, taking a look at your Friday. We have a big storm just literally rolling down the West Coast, some residual snow in the Northeast, but look at this storm just literally spinning and bringing copious amounts of rain into the Los Angeles basin and up to the north all the way to San Francisco. That is going to be something to watch for sure. Well, California certainly is not having trouble with moisture and boy, what a turnaround there. But unfortunately, northern Texas, Oklahoma, it is still in that bullseye. Well, how about over in Duluth, Minnesota? And just how high are those snowdrifts? Well, check out this photo shared by the National Weather Service in Duluth. It was taken by Ryan Brady. Look at all that snow, way taller than the kitty cat, who I am sure is glad to be inside. I think it'll be buried. All right, I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Brazil says it's temporarily halting exports of beef to China after detecting a case of BSE. It was detected in the northern state of Para. Brazil, which is the world's largest beef exporter, previously suspended exports to China for more than three months back in 2021 because of a different outbreak. The suspension could hurt Brazilian food producers as China is the largest export market. As we understand it, this is an atypical case. Uh, they've sent it to the World Organization for Animal Health for confirmation. What we don't know yet is the timeline. And that has been the real problem with Brazil and these atypical BSE cases. You know, the rest of the world reports these within 24 hours. Um, atypical cases are not the same as classical. They don't present a threat to the herd. They're spontaneously occurring. But reporting them in a timely way is how we make sure the system is working properly. And for the last 10 years, Brazil has never reported one of these in a timely manner. We're talking months late, years late in some cases. Now, Brazil can still ship beef to the U.S. as it is considered a country with negligible risk for BSE, but Brazil is affected with foot and mouth disease and the U.S. only allows imports of beef from the state of Santa Catarina, which is recognized as being FMD free. Federal officials are moving ahead with plans to shoot dozens of wild cattle in an area of southwestern New Mexico, a U.S. district judge approving the plan this week. That's after some ranchers had sought a delay. They argue the potential mass slaughter of as many as 150 unauthorized cows on public land was a violation of federal regulations and amounted to animal cruelty. The judge, though, denying the request, saying the U.S. Forest Service is charged with managing the wilderness for the benefit of the public and the operation would further that aim, adding that no one disputes the cattle need to be removed because they are doing damage. Plans by the Forest Service call for shooting the cattle with a high-powered rifle from a helicopter and leaving those carcasses in the Gila wilderness. Now you can see the area closed off on this map. Ranchers claim the cattle are the descendants of cows that legally grazed that area back in the 1970s before the owner went out of business. To the north, a new concern about wild pigs and a so-called super pig coming out of Canada. That pig is a hybrid of the European wild boar and the domestic pig. Experts say these 
pigs are highly elusive as they can survive the cold by tunneling beneath the snow. Their high reproductive rate of six young per litter on average and two litters per year allow their populations to grow rapidly and they will eat just about anything. The U.S. estimates regular wild pigs already cause $1.5 billion in damage each year. Corn markets see a strong sell-off on Thursday while cattle make new highs. We'll have those details coming up next in analysis and later a new effort to save the Great Salt Lake. Why some fear this area could be the next dust bowl. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. Corn futures trading lower on Thursday despite supportive outside markets and crude oil seeing a rally. Michelle Rook is back with what it all means in this morning's Markets Now. Joining us is Mike Zuzula with Global Commodity Analytics and uh, pretty much a down day in the grains and livestock to the plus side. And Mike, let's talk about the corn market. Combination of factors there kind of pressing that market, but some of that coming out of the USDA Ag Outlook Forum. Yeah, and I think the 40-day moving average being taken out, I think really accelerated the break to the downside. I suspect there are some pretty significant sell stops underneath that level. It'd been a really good floor underneath this. But yeah, I thought the Ag Outlook Forum Probably the best likely scenario for why we saw liquidation pressure, Michelle. I think it was a one-two punch. Not only did we see USDA do what it normally does, and that is rebuild ending stocks in the next marketing year and take us up to about 1.9 billion bushels for this coming marketing year. But they also then, we also heard some rhetoric and some specific speaking by the Ag Secretary, once again reiterating the GMO corn issue with Mexico really no room to maneuver there when it comes to the U.S. side. And I felt like that maybe did have a little bit more impact and splash in the puddle than what we've seen over the last couple, three weeks when we've been talking about this. Soybeans, are we still just consolidating here, do you think? Well, the soybeans are an interesting dynamic because it looked pretty threatened uh, on the charts uh, early in the day. The meal gave way, the spread started to give way. And, you know, USDA took us back up to a 290 million bushel carryover for this coming year. So there was a reason why the trade could have liquidated the beans. But I think the big thing that came in and saved the bean complex was a new three-week high in the Brazilian currency. That tended to bring some short covering and some lift back. And that meal led us back. And I, I like the way that price action was on the close. And more highs in the cattle. You got to wonder, you know, what is it that could actually break this market? Are we just going to continue to reach these record levels here? Yeah, again, I think the Ag Outlook Forum helped us in the beginning part of the session. Um, USDA came out with a 6% cut in commercial beef production for this calendar year. I think the market traded that, and then they went back to trading what else was going on. And I think that's where the cattle and feed report is probably going to answer that question you just asked. Yeah, because we already knew about the atypical BSE case in Brazil, I think, earlier in the week. So right. thanks for joining us. I'm Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. You can catch more of our conversation on agweb.com. Ag Day is brought to you by Maristem Crop Performance. Learn how to get more bushels for less at maristemag.com. Peter 
Well, just Chuck Heaver joining us here with our national forecast as we look out west, the west coast again getting walloped. It looks like a pretty tight storm north it to does. south there. And it literally is just running right down the coast. It's going to bring a ton of precipitation in areas that are not used to precipitation and even some snow. Let's take a look. All right, let's go up where the jets fly to find out where these storms are going to migrate their way across the country. This is Friday. You can see that storm along the California coast bringing a ton of rain and mountain snow to areas typically not used to this kind of rain. We're going to see rain in the inches for sure. It's going to impact the LA basin there and Southern California big time. That energy slowly works its way across the country on Monday. Overall, maybe a little bit of shower activity through the Midwest, but most of the cold air still remains up to the north, which has been a trend. We will have this dip in the jet stream. That's going to set off another opportunity for some showers and storms in the center part of the country, and then that works its way over. Okay, on Friday, let's take a look at what's going to happen here. We have some residual snow off to the northeast, but watch this. It is literally like a top spinning and working its way down the west coast anywhere from San Francisco with heavier mounts down in the LA basin. What a mess this is going to be. Snow in the mountains just outside of LA and all the way over toward the Las Vegas area. Wind is also going to be a big deal. Over in New York City, we're going to see gusty winds 30 to 40 miles per hour on the west coast as well. Combining that with the storm, it's going to be a total mess. And then later on Sunday, we're going to see another wind field build up. And the wind's important because it really is an indicative of what we can expect, especially with the preci precipitation. So down to the south again, you're looking at totals here easily in some locations over five inches. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a big deal. And then the mountain snows along the Sierra Nevada range. Wow, an incredible story there as well. They're used to snow, but it's going to be another round. And then, of course, in the upper Great Lakes, more snowfall where the air is colder. It will snow. There you go. 29 in Chicago today and look all the way down. You got to go down to Brownsville again for an 88 degree high temperatures. Oh yes, tonight. Okay, when you wake up tomorrow, let's call it. Uh, there you go there and then tomorrow looking at again relatively mild conditions. All right, closer to home. Hillard, Florida, 86 and 60. Lompoc, California, rain and wind 5245 and New Fane, New York, 2312 with flurries. There's concern right now. The Great Salt Lake in Utah is drying up, with some scientists saying it may disappear altogether in less than a decade. Why is that? Bill Weir traveled to Utah to find out. This is what is left of the Great Salt Lake. It hit record lows in recent months, exposing around 800 square miles of lake bed. But unchecked water use and climate change aren't just threatening the birds and sailboaters. And here, the western mega drought threatens a lot more than just snow sports, agriculture, and industry. Because this lake bed holds centuries of toxic runoff, mercury, selenium, arsenic, some of it natural, some of it man-made mining waste. But if it turns to dust and adds to some of the worst air pollution in the country, this is a threat to the lungs of over two and a half million people. 
we've done this experiment in history before. <laughs> we, we know about dust storms, we know about particulate pollution, we know about heavy metals and how they're bad for humans. This is an ecological disaster that will become a human health disaster. Bonnie Baxter is among the scientists who recently warned that the Great Salt Lake, as we know it, could be gone in five years, shriveled into fingers of lifeless water before becoming the great toxic dust bowl. You can kind of see a person standing out there like the yeah. water would have been above their head just a few years ago. This is what is known as a terminal lake with no rivers to take minerals to the sea. So they build up over time, just like Owens Lake in California after developers notoriously drained it a century ago to build Los Angeles, it both inspired the movie Chinatown and forced Californians to spend in the billions to control the toxic dust that remains a threat a hundred years later. This lake is 12 to 15 times bigger than Owens Lake. It's right next to a metropolitan center, which that lake was not. So there are people who will breathe this dust immediately. And we're really, really concerned about that happening here. So right. we have done that experiment. We shouldn't do it again. It was human choices that led to that catastrophic event, right? We're looking at the Great Salt Lake in a position right now to where we can avoid that ca catastrophe, where we don't have to spend those billions of dollars in remediation in the future if we make choices today. Brian Steed and John Lynn are from rival Utah universities, one with a background in state government, the other an atmospheric scientist. Well, the thing is, it's bipartisan, right? The right. air quality, we all want clean air. Together, they're part of the newly formed Great Salt Lake Strike Team, out to convince everyone that every drop counts. For a long time, I don't think that people were sufficiently talking for the lake. Now I think that we have a lot of people interested, the governor of the state, the legislature, who's all very interested in coming up with different scenarios and different solutions so that we don't end up with that catastrophic outcome. It seems like the path of least resistance is for the state to pay farmers for their water rights. Is that gonna happen? I don't know, it remains to be seen. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we could do that go to that extreme. Among the signs of change, when U.S. Magnesium wanted to extend canals into the lake, the state said no. And last year, the legislature finally began revising water laws written in the days of the Wild West. Sometimes I feel like we take a step forward and sometimes we take a step back, but in general, all those pieces of water legislation that passed in 2022 were bipartisan and unanimous. Like, where does that happen anymore? Fingers crossed it keeps happening because the only thing that can keep the Salt Lake great is lots of snow and even more cooperation. Well, winter, it means calving season for ranchers across the country. Up next, we'll get a special boots on the ground report from a pretty special cowman. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. All the snow and cold lately can make ranching life pretty tough. And on top of that, it's calving season, which adds another layer of stress. But then there are those rays of sunshine on the farm, and they come in from those little ranchers. We have this report from Thorne Radke, age six, of South Dakota. Hi, my name's Thorne. It's calving season on our ranch. Right now I'm looking for a labor, but right now it's pretty quiet. I think they're waiting to have their babies at night. For example, this cow right there is getting 
as a rancher to make sure the babies get up and strong and that are drinking their milk. Follow on for more cabin updates on our ranch. Thanks for choosing beef. I love it and we thank Thorne and his mom Amanda Radke for sharing that with us. Uh, we brought you the Radke story as part of our Grit with Grace segment last year. So make sure you check that out over at agweb.com. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agdan, Clinton Griffiths, have a great day.